religion without salvation. Religion without salvation. Oh Lord, I cannot speak this word today with power if you don't come and quicken it both in my spirit and in the heart of each listener and especially, oh Lord, in the heart of the children. Lord, would you come and speak to us? Would you manifest yourself in this house today? Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen. I listened this past week to a a radio broadcast on WAVA. A very popular Christian group of counselors was speaking, and they were taking phone calls. And as the calls began to come in, a young lady called and said, My marriage is a wreck. I don't know what to do. She began to cry. She said, I'm doing everything I know to do to put my marriage back together. But it's just not working. The counselor said, well, let's take a minute. What are are you trying to do? I'm going to church. I'm attending Bible studies. I'm trying to read the Proverbs. I'm trying to, to find out what God's answer is for my marriage. And I'm just not getting any answer. They asked if she was in counseling. And she said, yes, I'm taking my children to counseling. Are you in counseling? No, I'm not in counseling. I tried that. It didn't work. My husband wouldn't go. I mean, just the woe poured out. And these Christian counselors said to her, you need to go to Al-Anon. You need to go to Al-Anon because what you need are some other Christian women who will be able to sympathize with where you're at and who will be able to talk together with you about what they're going through. And somehow, if you go to Al-Anon, the burden with your husband will be easier. I listened to this counsel and I said, that counsel is straight from the pit of hell. Coming dressed up in Christian clothes. In other words, this woman is describing trying to read the scriptures, trying to pray, and not getting through. Instead of being able to talk with her about what it takes to hear from God, she is turned aside and told to go back over here and get back into the humanistic teaching. My heart broke. Religion with no salvation. Not able to hear from God. Not able to hear from Jesus. I want to tell you today. If you can't hear from Jesus, don't play with the church. Go get yourself a good psychiatrist. You can't mix together the church and the world. You can't mix together the gospel of salvation with the darkness of the world. Now, I'm well acquainted with Al-Anon. I know the wonderful work that all of these self-help groups try to provide. I want to tell you, in my life, I've come to the end of all self-help. 
I'm out of ideas for self-help. I've spent my time as a Christian psychotherapist. That's a bit of an oxymoron. I've spent my time in all of the self-help groups. I've led them. I've directed them. That's my educational background. I've come to an end of all self-help. I know that self-help doesn't take away the drugs. It doesn't take away the cigarettes. It doesn't take away those bondages that hold our children and our grandchildren. Self-help doesn't turn a marriage around. It's Jesus who has the power to turn a marriage around. As I struggled with this whole issue, as I cried out to the Lord, He began to bring me this morning in the early hours in the prayer closet into a new place with Him. I'm shy of talking about it, but I, I'm just sensing I'm to speak about it. I'm to address it. It's as though some walls between God and myself were removed by grace this morning. There was an intimacy in the prayer closet that I have not ever experienced before. There was a clarity. And in that clarity, I want to share what I've heard. The prophet Isaiah is the one prophet in Scripture that scares me. He was an absolutely righteous man who went into the temple of God and there saw God in the temple. He saw God fill the whole temple up with just his clothes. He saw the glory of God. And Isaiah hid back in the far corner and he said, Woe am I! I'm an unclean man. I have the lips of an unclean man. I'm unclean. And he he cried out to God about his uncleanness. This is a righteous man crying out to God about his uncleanness. And then when God finally said, you know, we need this. We, we need this. Who will go for us? You see Isaiah slipping his hand up way back there in the very back corner. And he's saying, I'll go. Send me. This is a man that terrifies me. He's a man who knows his uncleanness. But he's a man who knows how to raise his hand and say, I'll go. In other words, he's not disabled, stuck off in some self-help class. He's not self-centered. He doesn't think he's got issues. I sat with a young lady this last week. The first thing out of her mouth, she said, Pastor, you need to know I've got issues. First thing out of my mouth. Then you know you need to go to the cross and get rid of your issues and then let's talk. Get rid of your issues. Go die at the cross. Then you don't have any more issues. Dead people don't have issues. It's self-centered people who have issues. So I came to the scriptures to Isaiah in the 28th chapter. And I began to read verse 10. For it is do and do, do and do, rule on rule, rule on rule, a little here, a little there. I went into the Hebrew. You know what that really means? It is Isaiah trying to use some intelligence to decipher the words 
of an infant who is slobbering. It's nonsense. You cannot decipher the meaning. He's saying, do and do, do and do. If you read that in the Hebrew, you get the sound of a baby who is trying to make some noise. You can't understand what the baby's saying. It's unintelligible. Well, Isaiah is saying, look, you are following the babbling of a baby. And you are accepting that as your gospel. You are accepting that as authority in your life. Well, he now has their attention. Now listen to what he says. Very well then, verse 11. With foreign lips and strange tongues, God will speak to this people. In other words, you want to listen to a baby talk? Okay, I'll talk baby talk to you now. To whom he said, this is the resting place. Let the weary rest. And this is the place of, res of repose. But they would not listen. In other words, God is coming and he's saying to his people, look, this is where you lay down at night. This is your bed where you rest. This is your place of security and comfort. But you won't listen to it because you're listening to the babbling of a baby. And you're walking the way this baby is telling you to walk. The scriptures say when the Holy Spirit comes, he begins to convict us of sin. That's the first sign of the Holy Ghost. It's not shaking and rolling. It's not gold dust falling from the ceiling. It's not falling out on the floor. All of those things may happen, but not under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's conviction of sin that comes. It's that sharp, cutting word of the Holy Ghost. The children of Israel are saying, look, we're prosperous. We have everything going our way. We have everything that we need. And we like to listen to the prattling of this little baby that is telling us, don't walk holy before God. Don't walk righteous before God. And the Lord is saying, look, I told you where to lay down. I told you where your place of repose was. Repose in scripture means place of laying down. It's your bedroom. The Lord is saying, you wouldn't lay down in your bedroom. Have you ever had a little child? And they don't want to lay down in their bed. They want to lay down in mom and daddy's bed. Until finally daddy just moves out of the bed and goes to sleep somewhere else because he can't stand the kicking all night. Well, my question to you is, have you moved out of the bed the Lord has given you to sleep in? Have you gone to other places for your rest other than the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you gone to the football? Have you gone to the television? Have you gone, are you sleeping in somebody else's bed? Have you gone to the job? Have you gone to the checkbook? Where's your place of repose? Where do you lay down and say, ah, oh, I'm finally comfortable? If it's any place but Jesus Christ, you're laying down in the wrong bedroom. That's what Isaiah is saying here. He's saying the Lord has told you where your place of sleep was and you didn't want to sleep where the Lord told you to sleep. You wanted to go somewhere else. 
Verse 13, so then the word of the Lord to them will become do and do, do and do, rule on It's the same baby talk all over again. Wait a minute. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, you went out and you listened to the baby prattle and you would not lay down and rest where God told you to lay down and rest. And now because you refuse the rest that the Lord has given you, the Lord himself will now begin to speak only baby talk to you. The Lord will speak the same way the world talks to you. You won't listen to him. You want to listen to the world. Okay, I'll talk like the world to you. And let's see if you'll listen then. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers. Verse 14. Who rule this people in Jerusalem. You boast. We've entered into a covenant with death. With a grave, we've made an agreement. When an overwhelming scourge sweeps by, it cannot touch us. For we have made a lie our refuge and a falsehood our hiding place. So the Lord is saying, look. To the children of Israel, you would only listen to the baby talk from the world and you would not hear what I was saying to you. You would not lay down and rest where I asked you to lay down and rest. You you insisted that your bed was not enough. You had to go get in the bed of another. And you said, this is where I'll lie down. This is where I'll rest. So I'm going to talk to you like the world. Because you have said. You have an agreement with death. Today we call that life insurance. The Lord is saying to the children of Israel, you think you have a life insurance policy. You think you've got your family covered. You think everything's going to be okay. As you continue to listen to the baby talk of the world and lay down in the beds that I have not given you to lay down in, You refuse to rest in that place, and yet you like the sound. Okay, I'm going to talk to you with the same sound. But I want to tell you, he says, you're making a lie your refuge and falsehood your hiding place. I see on every hand that men and women have made a lie their refuge. People who call themselves Christians have made a lie their refuge. There are men who are not present in this service today who've covenanted to follow Jesus Christ. And then when that commitment was made, they turned and ran. They turned and ran. And you know what I'm praying? Oh God, reach out in your mighty mercy and power and grab a hold of them. And do whatever you have to do to draw them into your heart. Don't play games with them. But oh, today my heart is stirred because I believe some of you in this house have wonderful religion, but you have no salvation yet. Some of you have said, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, but you're totally unsanctified. You're still sleeping in those beds. That are not yours. And the Lord is saying. It's time to come back. 
and sleep in the bed the Lord has made for us in Jesus Christ. And your heart is full of rebellion. And you're like John saying, Preacher, you don't know what you're talking about. I can keep walking in my sin. I've been very clever. I've got my deal covered. I tell you today, I warn you today, you don't have your deal so well covered that God can't uncover your lie. And oh, the price to pay when he uncovers your lie. I want to go through some very specific lies. I've shared these with you before, but I need to walk through these. That's what the Spirit of God commanded. The first great lie today that is life insurance for those who have religion but have no salvation is called humanism. And humanism, bottom line, says, I have control of my own life and I will do what I desire and I will use the gospel of Jesus Christ as simply another tool in my hand to accomplish what I want to accomplish. I'm going to have my happiness. I'm going to have my financial success. I'm going to have everything my heart desires. And I will use Norman Vincent Peale. I will use Tony Robbins. I will use anybody I need to use, including Jesus Christ, to get what I want. That's humanism 101. The greatest danger facing the Christian church today is that humanism has swept into it in the music, in the drama, even in the sermon and the way it is preached, full of humanism. The pastor who stands before the congregation and says that he was at the Mike Tyson fight and then tries to tell young people to keep fighting like Mike Tyson didn't do. You know that that pastor has absolutely no contact with the Holy Spirit of the living God. You know that he is a false pastor, a wolf in sheep's clothing, laying down in the bed of a prostitute. That's humanism. I can guarantee you that when we get to heaven, nobody's going to lay out a, a boxing ring. It's not going to happen. I can tell you right now that nobody's going to mark out a football field. Nobody's going to put in a gymnasium for a basketball game. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to toss a ball around. I'm not saying it's, it's wrong to enjoy throwing a football. But I'm saying if that's the bed you're laying down in and that's your comfort, then you've missed God. No matter how religious you might be. Humanism. Number two. An unsanctified hope of heaven. Oh, I'm going to heaven. Jesus loves me. But there's no obedience in your life. Then you have an unsanctified expectation of heaven that will take you to hell. It's a lie. See, one of my first questions when I begin to talk with people, I always ask them, how are you with Jesus? And many times people will say back to me, oh, I'm, I'm tight with Jesus. I'm tight with Jesus. Jesus is wonderful. I've got this special relationship with Jesus. 
I want to tell you today, God doesn't cut any special deals. There's no discount ticket to heaven. If you've been expecting to get a discount ticket to heaven, the scalpers will be in hell. You're not going to get it. And when you go to hell to pick your ticket up, there's no door back to heaven. Number three, the lie of old experiences. In other words, when I was young, I accepted Jesus. I, I loved Jesus when I was young. And you somehow think that's going to carry you through to the end. An old experience of Jesus is not enough. There has to be a current today experience of Jesus Christ. There has to be an experience today in the presence of God. You can't go on yesterday. There are no yesterday Christians. There are only today Christians. The fourth lie. Self-righteousness. Somehow the belief that says, if I try my best, that's all God can expect. If I try my best, what else can I do? Well, the answer to that is real simple. You can just go ahead and die. You can go ahead and go to the cross. Nobody's going to enter into heaven by trying hard. Nobody's going to enter into Jesus Christ because they did their best. You enter into Jesus Christ because you died to your flesh and you were resurrected and you were a new person in Christ. And I ask you today, are you a religionist or are you a new person in Jesus Christ? Are you a new person in Jesus Christ? Or does the old way still control you? Are you still triggered by those old things out of your family? Is your anger still triggered by those ways you were treated in very unfair ways? Does rage well up in your heart when mom or dad cuts across your path? Is there a a dull numbness about you so that There's no excitement about Jesus. There's no dancing as there would be for something in the world or the flesh. Is there joy in your heart? Young person, now, children, is there joy in your heart? Are you excited about Jesus? Do you tell everybody you meet about Jesus? Or do you tell everybody you meet about your new bike? Or your new clothes? What do you tell people about? Listen to yourself telling your story. And I've learned this. Oh, have I learned this. As soon as I get with somebody, I discover they've got a story to tell me. All I have to do is indicate some willingness to listen. And it's a, they'll grab onto me like onto a, a, a life vest. Because they've got a story they want to tell me. And I listen to people's stories. I love to listen to people's stories. Everyone is so different and unique. But oh, I want to know is the story you're telling of victory over sin and what the Holy Spirit is speaking into your heart. 
Are you eager? Are you grabbing a hold of others to tell them the story of the cross? Or are you telling them your own story of woe? And then I had to go back and begin to review. You know what? It's real interesting when you begin to talk with a little three or four year old. They have the things they want to talk about. And then you talk to the 10-year-olds, and they have something else they want to talk about. You see them drawing the hot cars. They know the names of all the Lamborghinis and the Porsches. You talk to the girls, and they've got a whole nother deal they're talking about. You, you talk to the teens and listen to them. Oh, have things changed? They've got their whole deal they're talking about. And then you get the, you get the college people, the sophisticated ones, the ones who are really learning how to walk. They're all talking about grades and they're talking about this and they're talking about that and, and all the issues that are out there. They seem to be utterly amazed when somebody else can talk about economics or can talk about some current issue. Only college people and university people are supposed to know about how to talk about those kinds of things. They express consternation that an old man like me could know anything about that. And then you get the 30 people. Now the guys are going for the bucks. They've got to make their mark. They've got to leave the smell of their manhood somewhere. And the gals are struggling, raising the kids and balancing the budget, doing this and homeschooling now. And I mean, it just, at every age, everybody has a lot to talk about. But I want to tell you right now, when you get up in your 60s, what you're going to be talking about, you need to know that ahead of time. Your blood pressure medicine. And your organs. 60-year-old people love to have organ recitals. Been to this surgery and had that surgery. and This is what happened and got this disease and have this problem. But in the midst of all of this, where's the heart for Jesus? Where's the heart crying out, Oh God, if you don't come and break into my influence circle, if you don't come and interrupt my life, I'm going to grow old and die. And it's going to be over. And I'm going to go to hell. And at every age in all of this progression of discussion, finally resulting in the organ recital, it all seems so intelligent. It all seems so acceptable. It all seems so natural. But to stop that whole thing right in its tracks and say, what about Jesus? Are you ready to go to heaven? Are you ready to see Jesus? Have you been sanctified? Have you been made holy? Are you given over to Jesus Christ? Now that's something worth talking about. The Lord says in Isaiah 28, 19, 19b, the understanding of this message will bring sheer terror. The bed is too short to stretch out on. 
the blanket too narrow to wrap around you. The Lord is saying to us, look, you better listen, because if you don't listen to the word of the Lord, you're going to lay down on a bed and find the blanket is shrunk and you're too big to get under it. You better listen, because if you don't, your bed's going to be too short for you. And your head's going to hang off on one end and your feet's going to hang off on the other. You're going to toss and turn. There will be no rest for you. Your heart is going to be filled with terror and you're not going to be able to sleep at night. Why? Because you've listened to the baby talk of the world and you've thought you could get away with being religious, but you have no sanctification. This terrifies my heart. I went into my prayer closet this morning and I lay on the floor before God and I said, oh God, I don't want to hear the baby talk of the world. And I don't want you to talk to me like a baby. I want you to talk straight up to me. I want to hear the honest gospel truth. I want to go to heaven. I, I don't want anything else. I don't want fame. I don't want money. I don't want success. I don't want health. I don't want anything but Jesus. My heart is on fire for Jesus. My heart wants the fullness of the Holy Spirit, not the fullness of an unholy spirit. I want the fire of God to come and bring revival in the land, but I know that revival will come with an incredible confrontation to sin. And until you begin to take that confrontation in sin everywhere you go in your families, at your workplace, all your Christian so-called friends, until you break those with the word of Jesus Christ, no revival is going to flow in this land. It's time for revival in Washington, D.C. It has to begin with the Holy Spirit convicting me of my sin, of my unrighteousness, of my dishonesty with God, of the beds I've lain down in. It means coming back and only laying in the bed of Jesus Christ. And not trying to fool myself that there's rest in any of these lies that I've shared with you. There's no rest in a one of these lies. I could talk about other, other lies like, I'm a part of the church, so I'm alright. They're doing it, so it must be okay. Or I have all the orthodox creeds. I believe all the right theology. Because I believe the right theology, I'm on the right road. That's a lie. The lie that says, oh, pastor, you need to understand, I have a sinful nature. I didn't choose to have that sinful nature. I was born with that sinful nature. So I can't help sinning. That's just how I am. And if God doesn't like me the way I am, then he'll have to do something about it. It's a lie. God will do something about it. He'll talk to you like a baby. And you'll never be sanctified. You'll never walk in holiness. And at the end of time, he's going to say to you, depart from me. I don't know you, you worker of iniquity. That message brings terror to my soul. Oh, and another wonderful lie. 
hey, I'm as good as the guy next to me. You know, I don't do anything my pastor doesn't do. You know, my, my pastor invited me to go to the movies to see an action flick. He said everybody needs to relax sometime. My pastor's kids, they have all the Game Boy. You know, they, they do all the videos. So what's wrong with me doing it? Because God doesn't have grandkids. It's between you and God. You can't depend on me for your salvation. You can't depend on any other pastor for your salvation. You're going to stand before the throne of God and either the blood of Jesus Christ has covered you and sanctified you or you will stand before the throne of God and be cast into hell. There's no middle, no middle ground. The Lord wants to break every lie in your heart and every lie in my heart. He set about to speak to us as adults. To say very plainly to us, this is my will for your life. Will you come and rest where I've made a place of rest for you? But if you will not rest where I have prepared a place for you to rest, then go ahead and sleep with the world. Enjoy it while you can. It'll soon be over. So today I have to ask you the hard question. Are you religious without any sanctification? Have you believed the lies? Or are you choosing to absolutely surrender every bed except that of Jesus Christ? Are you laying only in the bed that Jesus Christ has given you? Walking by faith. Earnestly searching after him. Or is your heart cold and you've pulled back? And you're watching to see what you can get away with. How do you stand with Jesus today? Almighty God, today, would you cause terror to come upon our hearts? That we would no longer listen to the prattle of children, but instead would hear the straight, unvarnished truth from your heart. That we would flee to you, Jesus, the living God. That you would exercise your authority over us. That you would do whatever is necessary to bring us into the fullness of your sanctification. I thank you now, Lord. I thank you for every man in this house, including the little men. Lord, I thank you. And I ask now for your glory to be upon us. In the name of Jesus, amen.